Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. In the book of Revelation that we are going through at the moment, um, and this is our last Revelation talk before Christmas, everyone. But we, we, oh, we will be back. We'll be back. There's more Revelation to, to come to. Um, in this book, um, you've got... Uh, this large vision that takes uh, about 20 chapters that John uh, is, is revealed as John narrating. Um, and it has all sorts of moving parts. And you're asking these questions of how does this bit link to this bit and what order are these things in and all this sort of stuff. And it's quite a lot to get your head around. So this is a large vision. But within that vision, there are sometimes these little self-contained stories that just come in and kind of stand on their own and kind of make the bigger point that you see from the bigger story in just a small uh, way. And I think that's what we have here in Revelation 12. Yes, this will lead on to a whole load of other stories where some of these characters appear again and it reaches back into things that have happened before. But actually, you can treat this, and I'm going to be treating this today, really, as a kind of self-contained story or set of stories that we see just jammed in the middle that make a very clear point. It's a point that the book of Revelation as a whole makes, and very, very uh, helpfully, it's the point that all of our songs and the flow of the uh, worship time and Anna's contribution and Becca came to me as well to say, look, I've got a very similar thing. It's exactly the same point that's been all the way through. So God's underlining some stuff today, I think. So in this story, in this chapter, we have two main characters. We have a woman and we have a dragon. And um, like I said, we could spend our time thinking how they fit into the big vision of Revelation. Uh, who exactly are they? What Old Testament characters they reference? Uh, what all the numbers mean? We've got a few more numbers in here like, uh, like per normal. Um, and that would be really useful, but that is not what we're going to do. What we're going to do, and what I'm going to try to do, is I just want you to hear these stories or this story as a story. That's really what I want to do today. Um, because a story, when God communicates to us through his word, so much of it is... Uh, poetic in genre, and we've had some of that in Revelation, lots of that in Revelation, but also communicates in stories. And when you have a story, God is deliberate. That's not an accident. It's meant to be read as a story. And a story is meant to hit, first of all, not your reason, but your imagination. That's the whole point of a story. And so we could rush in with loads of questions, and how does this work, and analysis, and all of that, but that could help, that could miss the point, really, of the story. Let's give you an example. Uh, put your hand up here if you studied Shakespeare at GCSE. At O level. Okay, yeah. <laughs> What's an O level? Yeah, I feel I make me feel young, Barbara. Thank you very much. Um, well, for those of you, most of us on the English curriculum, even reaching way back, Shakespeare's been there. And what you normally do, I think it's the same for most of us, is you kind of look through the, the text. You can't really understand what's going on. So you analyze every term, work out what they meant, these old English words. You read your cliff notes or whatever. You memorize your quotes. And you, you, you kind of gain this understanding, in inverted commas, of the text, and hopefully enough to get a decent mark. I, I think that's, is that roughly how it went for you? That's how it was for me. What does this old word mean? How does it fit to this? Who's this character doing? What does he represent? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's a very, very different thing to going to Stratford, taking a seat, and watching, say, a play of Othello. Completely different thing. In fact, it is possible to do a critical analysis of a text in such a way that you lose forever the ability to encounter it as a story. <laughs> so you're sitting there watching Othello thinking, oh, yeah, I know what that word means, and I know that relates to this bit, and this is something that happened in Shakespeare's time. And you lose the emotional engagement, you lose the drama, you lose the excitement, and you miss the entire point of why that play is being performed. Now, just to say, might not float your boat, you might not be a Shakespeare fan here, you might think, I'll never get in Shakespeare, that's fine. But 
know you get the general point. Stories come, yes, we exercise our reason when we come to a story, but that's secondary. A story must first work on our imagination. And so what we have here in this chapter is a story or kind of a series of stories, or at least a story in a number of parts, and they're not here just to teach us a moral or a lesson. They are here to capture us and soak us in a reality about the universe and push it not just into our thinking, but into our hearts and our affections and our feelings. And so I just want to retell you this story. And I'd like to retell it to you in five parts today. The story uh, of Revelation 12. I'm going to paraphrase as I go along, although I hope you see where I'm getting this stuff from. And um, But by the end, in the fifth part of the story, which works as a kind of postscript, I think, I'm going to bring our reason back into play. And we're going to, I'm going to start to pull out a few pointers that might help us with some questions that we might have as we go along. But I would ask you to hold off on the questions until the end and just let the stories hit you as the stories. Because I hope by the end, and it just on the riding the wave of the worship, um, we can end this. We can see how these stories work to help us to live more confident, faith-filled, and God-honoring lives. There's the plan. So if you're sitting comfortably... Open your imagination. And I want to present you a paraphrased version of Revelation chapter 12. It is a story in five parts, and I've entitled this story, The Dragon Who Fails. Part one. Now, let's get into setting for this one properly. I might be wrong, but I think the first part of this story was written in a way that the first readers would have been able to follow the story from visual cues that they had at that time. So I want you to transport yourself back to the first century. You're outside your little hut uh, in the Middle East somewhere, so let's say Turkey, and it's nighttime. There are no street lights, there are no house lights, nothing like that. So that means that as you look up, you get this massive vista of stars over your head. Okay, we all there. You got it. Okay, we don't get that in Birmingham, but you do get it in first century Turkey at night. Okay, trust me. Not that I've been there, but anyway. Um, in this setting, the storyteller turns and says, hey, look, look up in the sky. Have a look. See all the constellations. Look, there's, uh, there's Orion and there's uh, yeah, Sagittarius and there's uh, the plow over there. And have a look at that one over there. Well, that's strange. What do you think that looks like? It's a bit like a woman, doesn't it? You know what I'm pointing? I'm pointing just, to, just above the, the moon, just there. Uh, it's the bit of the sky that kind of glows as if the sun from yesterday is still kind of glowing through it. Yeah, you got it. You got it. You got the woman. And look at the stars above her head. It looks almost like she's wearing a crown. This isn't just a woman. This is a queen. It's a monarch. It's a, it's a sovereign. I don't want to be rude, but... She looks a little bit bloated. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah, I've got it. It's, she's, it's not that she's podgy. No, I've got it. She's pregnant. The woman is pregnant. The queen is, is pregnant. Actually, what do you imagine as you think of that queen? What noise do you think she's making? <laughs> not that noise. <laughs> she's screaming. She's crying in pain. She's actually not just pregnant. She's in labor. The baby is coming. But now... Look across the sky. Look over there. There's another constellation. What does that look like over there? It looks different. It looks more grotesque, more scary, bigger. It's a dragon. It looks just like a dragon. Look over there. Dragon, again, he's got a crown on his head. Actually, he's got crowns on multiple heads because this is a freaky dragon. But the woman, you see, she was the first one. She represents the rightful rule. This one is a pretender to the crown. He wants the crown, 
but he's not the rightful ruler. But it's as if he heard the cry of labor from over here in the sky, and the dragon is alerted, and he's not happy. Because the dragon knows this. The dragon wants the throne. The dragon wants power. But he knows if this baby is born, he is the rightful heir to the throne. And the dragon wants the throne. But if he could kill that baby, what an opportunity. If he can eat that baby, easy, it's just a baby. The kingdom would be his. Now I think the listener doesn't see stars anymore, but is the, their imagination takes over, and it's like that dragon comes out of the sky and whips its tail and knocks out a whole load of stars out of the sky in this kind of display of strength and intimidation and kind of slithers across the sky to this woman and stands in front of her, ready with his fang jaws just open, ready to devour an example of like the weakest, most vulnerable creature you can imagine, a human baby. With one last cry, that child appears. And the dragon in position, just here, his jaws slams shut. But then he stops with a start. His teeth jangle together. His mouth's empty. The dragon opens his eyes. And to his amazement, the child has vanished. It's been taken away by an unseen hand. And what's more, in the dragon's bewilderment, he's let the woman sneak off too. And he's left there just on his own, cursing his luck. And actually what the dragon feared came to pass. The child is crowned king and takes his place on the throne that he was destined for, establishing his rule over everyone and everything. The dragon has failed. The end. No, sorry. No, I'm getting carried away. I'm getting carried away. Sorry, not the end. This is part one. Okay, keep that story in mind. But let's have another part to the story. Let's go to part two. The dragon who fails. Part two. This bit uh, relates to verses seven to nine, and we're going to need to just jump a little bit here to a slightly different scene in your mind. Okay, we're not looking at the stars this time. The scene is uh, the throne room of heaven. And in the throne room of heaven, God is on his throne. And stationed around him are a number of uh, the staff team of heaven. The angels are there. There's one character who's very near the throne in a place of honor, a tall angel called Michael. And Michael is the leader of heaven's peacekeeping force, this army of angels. And uh, into the throne room rushes a messenger. And the messenger comes in and he bows down. He falls to his knees before the throne. He says, your majesty, your majesty, I've got terrible news. There is a rebellion afoot. It's the dragon. Remember the dragon from part one? The dragon's back. It's a dragon. He's coming for the throne. What's happened? Well, on the back of his uh, calamitous last attempt to seize the throne, the dragon has decided a plan B is in order. And rather than... Eating the baby would have been neat, but like, you know what? You can't have it all your way. So instead, he chooses a more direct course of action. He's going to go straight for the throne. He's, he's going uh, to try to take uh, power by force. And he's not alone. He's gathered a load of rogues from the outskirts of heaven. Some actually, tragically, he's kind of whispered in the ears of a number of angels, turned them uh, to his side. And this ragtag bunch of like uh, malevolent misfits are after the throne. Before God can even respond, this big angel, Michael, steps forward and goes, Hey, God, don't you worry. I've got this one. Michael rushes out. He gathers his 
army, all the angel, all the remaining angels in heaven, and they hit the dragon hard and they hit him fast. And a battle ensues. Well, I don't want to overstate it, more of a skirmish, really. Um, it doesn't last very long. And before long, the battlefield is strewn with the bodies of the dragon's army. And the, the remaining of the dragon's army is like surrendering their, their stuff. But on the battlefield, Michael stands there, kind of a little bit of a sweat on his brow. And he reaches down among the kind of fallen soldiers. And he pulls out this limp, almost lifeless, pathetic-looking creature. Who is it? It's the dragon almost no longer breathing, covered in blood, broken in more ways than I can explain. And he takes one look at him, and he drop kicks him as hard as he possibly can, and the dragon flies. And he's a dragon, oh, now he's a little, a little smaller dragon, now he's a smaller dragon, now he's a spot. Bing! Gone. Disappeared. It's not just that the dragon didn't get the throne of heaven. <laughs> he now no longer even gets to be in heaven at all. It's as if the dragon's constellation has been utterly erased from the sky. Guess what? The dragon has failed. The end. No, no, no. You've got it, Barbara. Just still, we're still in the first part. That's the second part of the story. Let's get to the third one, but keep that story in mind, and let's see what happens in part three. How do we think the dragon will fare when he's not in heaven anymore? Maybe he'll have a bit more luck this time. Okay, let's go to the next part of the story then, and this bit is uh, verses 13 to 15. Yeah, I know I've missed a bit out, but don't you worry about that. We'll come back to that later. But let's do this. Now, this scene, you, you might imagine this different to me. It depends on the chronology you see in this story. Is the woman already in the desert or is she somewhere else? You know what? I'm forgetting all that at the moment. I'm going to go off piste a little. I want you to imagine a country scene. Got it? There we go, that'll do. A winding hill, a winding road is going through the country. And a woman with a bag on her back is wandering gaily through the, 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 uh, the fields. Sniffing the flowers and looking happy. Okay? Um, that's how I see it anyway. Um, and uh, as she's walking, she hears a noise behind her. She looks over her shoulder. And over the, the horizon uh, is coming a kind of, it's like a small red blur. So what's that? Is, that? is that a cow? No? Not a cow. Is it a horse? A bit bigger than a horse. Suddenly, her heart sinks. She knows exactly who it is. It's the dragon. And it's charging straight at her. The woman drops her bag, and she legs it. Now, I want to be clear. This woman, she's a, she's a good athlete. She was, always did well at sports day at school. She's kind of fit and healthy. But she's just a human with little human legs, and this is a dragon. Every step of the dragon is ten times the size of her steps, and this dragon is closing in. And the woman's running, and the woman's running, and the woman's running, and she looks over her shoulder. The dragon's just a hundred meters behind her. She goes again, really absolutely pegging it. Looks back a second later, the dragon's 50 meters behind her, and she closes her eyes and continues running, but she knows what's coming. The dragon opens its huge jaws as it closes in on its prey, and as it gets close, suddenly the jaws slam shut. But he stops with a start. His teeth jangle together. His mouth is empty. 
Dragon opens his eyes and looks around. First, he thinks the woman's disappeared like the baby did before, but then he catches a glimpse of something above his head, and he sees as the woman disappears into a cloud, he notices on her back two wings have sprouted, wings that definitely were not there before. And the dragon knows immediately where the wings have come from. Heaven, the place he wanted to rule, the place he was thrown out of, even on earth, is coming down to help the woman to escape him, and she has been rescued. The dragon has... The dragon has failed. The end. No, no, no. I'm not even going to trick you with that one this time. We've still got two parts left. This is easy. Easy one here. Back to exactly the same scene again. Again, I'm on the hills. You're on the hills. Winding hill. Bag. Woman. Okay. Um, She looks behind her. Is it a cow? No. Is it a horse? No. No. It's a dragon. The dragon's coming. She's running. She's fast, but she's a human with little human legs and a crunchable human skeleton. What's she going to do? Dragon comes close, but this time, this is a wily dragon we've got here. He's, he's, He's got plans. Okay. He's got schemes. He's not one to be tricked easily. And as he comes close, he opens his mouth. Get ready for a massive plot twist here, by the way, everyone. I hope you're ready on the edge of your seat. If a dragon opens their mouth, what's meant to come out of the dragon's mouth? Fire is meant to come out of his mouth. So he opens his mouth, ready to blaze everything up. But no, dun, 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 water comes out of his mouth. This is a clever dragon. Water fires out of the dragon's mouth. It's like a fire hydrant turned up to 11. No, no, that's not good enough. It's like a tsunami that kind of rolls towards the woman. And it's even faster than the... The dragon was, and the lady's running as best she can. But there's no way she's going to outrun this tsunami. She is doomed. You can almost hear the dragon cackling with delight and rubbing his scaly hands together. And then there's this rumbling noise, and inexplicably, the rushing river of water starts to slightly disappear before it gets to her. Dragon's like, well, maybe I didn't spew enough water out. So he goes again, and the water fires out even greater velocity. But it doesn't matter. The water never reaches the woman. It just drains away pathetically before it even gets to her. And all at once, the dragon knows what has happened. Whereas before heaven, his old home, had teamed against him to rescue the woman from his clutches, now even the earth is teamed against him. The place he's been banished to, the place he thought was beneath him, even that is stopping him from getting anywhere. The earth has opened up this vast chasm to swallow the water so the woman would get away. And the scene is left with the dragon on one side of the chasm. And across the chasm right over there, a woman is standing. She's again broken a little bit of a sweat, wipes her brow slightly, gives a wry smile, waves at the dragon, and walks off calmly into the distance. The dragon is furious. He stamps his feet. He rolls around. He wails. Because what's happened? The dragon, the dragon has failed. The end. Now, actually, I didn't lie that time. This time it is nearly the end, because I've just paraphrased the actual end of Revelation 12. However, there is one more story hidden in this chapter, uh, and I want to finish with this part of the story, because it's a bit different to the other bits of the story. And like I said at the start, I hope you've been a very obedient congregation today and have held off your questions up to this point, because the last part of the story starts to address some questions that we may have in this story. And so before I go onwards any further, you have 30 seconds with the person next to you. I would like you to tell them as many questions as you want to possibly ask about this strange story as you can think of. 
and I will collect a few in a moment. I can't guarantee to answer them, but I will collect them to get you involved in what's going on. Okay, 30 seconds, off you go. Right, let's try a few. Again, I'm not, there's no contractual obligation here that I will answer any or refer to any question you ask me. But come on, give me some. We might get a few in. Um, give me a go. What questions have we got? <laughs> why, why didn't they just kill the dragon? Yeah, okay, yeah, why didn't they just kill the dragon? Ooh. In fact, I'll say, I think that answer is later in Revelation, so I think we've got that one, but I won't talk about it. Good work, Becca. Becca answered and asked the question. Very good. Any other questions? Is the woman, yes, who is the woman? I mean, it's a, it's a big question in the story. Yeah, very good. Helen, like that. Who's the baby? Yeah, we've got, a, we've got a baby that becomes a king. Who's the baby? I would refer you back to a Reverend Pitt's sermon last week on that one, Chris, because they're the same numbers as, uh, <laughs> they're the same numbers as last time. Not a coincidence. Somebody's doing half of seven, I think. But anyway, very good. How does it relate to us? Very important question. Yeah. Any others? I thought you'd just say, what is time? Steve, you're a genius. Sorry, go for it. Time one times two, half a time three. It's three and a half. It's 1,260. They're all the same number. 420 months, isn't it, as well? They're all the same number. It's half of seven. It's, not, it's a long period, but it's not completion. That was right, wasn't it, Reverend Pitt? Yes. Ardash. Good question. Yes, very good. This is good. You're doing good here. One, and one last question. Anyone? Any more? Vicky. Very good. How do, we, how do we get the understanding of this? Now, again, I said I wouldn't answer all the questions. Just some clues. Revelation is soaked in the Old Testament. Absolutely soaked in it. And the better you know your Old Testament, the better you'll understand Revelation references, because John was a proper Bible geek, like of the most geekiest Bible geeks. And so there's always links back to the Old Testament, so you can find them as you go through, which gives you some homework to do. I want to answer a few questions. Well, I think this, the next story will answer a few questions. I want to flag them up. The question is for me, who's the woman? Yeah, I, I'm asking that question. You didn't ask the obvious one, though, because maybe you're too clever. Who's the dragon? I mean, who is he? Um, she or it? And um, in the kind of how does it affect us, I'm asking this question, not just why don't they kill the dragon, but why on earth does this dragon keep failing so miserably? I mean, is he just a blundering oaf, or is something else going on? Is there a mechanism by which this dragon, everything is set against him? And if so, what is it? Right, last story. And for this story, it's verses 10 to 12. It's the bit I missed out. I'm going to read you, uh, repeat what you heard from Nick earlier. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, it has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb, by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. Now, this is very different to the rest of the chapter. It doesn't look like a story, but there's certainly a story behind it. And it looks like a very different story because there's no dragon, there's no woman, there's no child, there's no Michael, there's no angels. None of this stuff's in there, obviously. But actually, when you look at it 
you, I think what you see is this is the same story told from a different angle. And this part of the story is a direct re reference to one part of the Old Testament, and it's the book of Job. Now, uh, it's a similar scene. Like, let's imagine, let's get back into story mode again. The scenario is a bit like part two of our story. Heaven, you want it to picture heaven like a courtroom, and the angels are called in to report to God what's going on. And one of them comes in, and this is what happens at the beginning of Job, and he comes to have a conversation with God. And God immediately directs this angel's attention to a man called Job. And he says to the angel, he says, look at Job. He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. But this angel, amazingly, I mean, audacious uh, in, in many ways, contradicts God. And he immediately tries to undermine God's uh, respect for Job. He undermines Job's uh, goodness and all of that. And it's like he says to God, he says, God, 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 come on, let's not get carried away. I know he looks pretty good. He looks pretty upright. But he, that's what he's like on the surface. But you don't have to look very hard to see that person's not good. That person's not upright. He looks like it because you've made his life really easy. If you take a few things away from him, his wealth, his health, his family, he'll show his true colors because you and I both know God that man is rotten to the core like the rest of those filthy people that you made. That's basically what, the, what, what this uh, angel says to God. And the rest of Job proceeds from that conversation. And I'd advise you to dig into that book, the book of Job, because it's an excellent, uh, very, very uh, thought-provoking and encouraging, in many ways, book. But what's going on in this exchange, strange exchange in Job that's referenced here? And how do we know it's referenced here? What's the evidence, as Vicky might say? Well, the key to understanding the story of Job and to see the link is to know the name of the angel who's talking to God. The name of the angel is Satan. Well, actually, I like to be a bit of a geek too sometimes. Um, I'll be a geek. I'll be a grammar geek. It's not really Satan. It's the Satan. Whenever Satan's mentioned in the Old Testament, he has a the before him. It's the Satan. Because Satan's not really a name. It's a description of his function. And what it means, the Satan, is the adversary or the accuser. Hmm, accuser. We had that a second ago. The accuser of our brothers. He's in Revelation 12. We've just had him in, in, the, in part five of our story. In fact, he's appeared earlier in the story as well, 12 verse 9. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world. And who is he in our story? The dragon. So we've seen Satan, the accuser, is right here. The same character from Job. And what we also find in the story of Job and in this name is the source of the dragon's strength. What's the source of his strength? Well, it's that he accuses people. The thing is, you see, just like he did with Job, accusing and accusing and accusing, he does exactly the same over every single one of us and he's, uh, uh, across the ages. It's like God says to Satan, I want you to imagine, he says, imagine, uh, Satan, have a look. Uh, here's Barbara, for example. Here's, here's Ethan. Oh, look at this fine specimen down here. God, God's saying, uh, he says, Irene, there's Irene. Look, have a look. Have a look down here. And Satan uh, Satan looks and he says, look, no, no, no. Where, where am I in my notes? I was getting confused with all your, all your greatness. Um, no, you think they're brilliant. You're saying they're brilliant. You say you like them. But those people, they're terrible people. I mean, come on, terrible. They're terrible people. They, they've done awful things. You know as well as me, God, that look inside their thoughts and, and other things. How can you forget about those things? You shouldn't be kind to them. You should punish them. 
And the terrible thing is this, and this is not talking about you three, this is talking about all of us. The accuser has a point. The Bible tells us all throughout, but maybe most clearly in Romans 3.23, that all have sinned, we've gone wrong, and we fall short of the glory of God. Earlier in the book of Romans, Paul puts like this, there is no one who does good, not even one. Doesn't mean none of us ever do something good. Of course we do. Pretty much everyone does that. But no one does good properly. We're not good as we should be. To put it in the kind of language of the stories we've been looking at, all have committed treason against the rightful king of heaven. All have rebelled against the king of the universe. And basically, that means that God, as the just judge of the whole universe, cannot overlook such actions, whatever he feels about us. There must be judgment for what we've done. And so it looks like the accuser's won. It looks like the dragon has got it all sewn up. It looks like his jaws are open over every single one of us, and he's ready to devour us. We've got no way out. Ha-ha! But we've been here before, haven't we? Remember? We've been here, dragon mouth open, about to eat them. Something different happens. This part of the story tells us an amazing thing, amazing thing. It goes into more detail. It's the same thing as before. It's in more detail. The accuser has lost his job. His accusations have been silenced. In fact, not even that. He has been removed from the heavenly courtroom. We even get the reason. We, we understand why. How has he been removed? How has he been defeated? Verse 11, he's been defeated by the blood of the Lamb. I know there's lots of characters and animals and things going on. The lamb. We've seen the lamb a few times in Revelation. We've seen him in this story. Michael asked the question earlier, who's the child? The child, this might not make it easier for you unless you know Revelation. The child is the lamb. Easy. The lamb is Jesus. Okay, got it. Child, lamb, Jesus. They're all the, all the same. And when Jesus died for us on the cross, he paid the punishment that we deserve to pay for our treason, for our rebellion, for our sin, so that we don't have to do it anymore. And so, one last time, let's think back to that heavenly courtroom. It's like the accuser, Satan, the dragon, he goes to accuse us. He goes again, look, you can't think much of them. You can't help them. You can't bless them. And it's the God says this, silence. Silence. A punishment does need to be paid. It did need to be paid. But it has been paid. I paid it myself. I paid it in the person of Jesus, the lamb, and when I died on the cross. And as those people have chosen to accept what I've done, now their crimes are all wiped away off the record. They're forgiven. And nobody, he turns to the accuser, certainly not you, can stop me showing them my favor and my love anymore. And then God calls to his gods. He snaps his fingers, and the gods come in, put one arm under each arm of the accuser, and they troop him out of the courtroom. And then guess what? It's another drop kick. Bang! Out of heaven, over the horizon. Bing! Gone. What's happened? The dragon has failed again. The end. And that is the end of our stories. But I think there is one question that I just can't, can't leave you uh, with before we go. And it's the question uh, that was raised by someone, uh, who's the woman then? Well, who is the woman? And it links to the other thing of how we relate to this story. And again, right at the end, I don't want to get lost in detail. As was mentioned by Vicky, some would say the woman is Mary. 
clearly looks like Mary in some ways. Some would say, well, is it like an updated, souped-up version of Eve? Is it the Old Testament people of God? Is it the people of God throughout the ages? Now, there's lots of, I think, probably yes to all of the above. That's how stories work. Um, But one thing is absolutely clear, and this passage makes clear about the woman, is we know exactly who her children are. It's made explicit in the story. We met one child, obviously, the heir to the throne, the lamb, Jesus, the rightful king. But at the end, we find out that he wasn't her only child. Remember the scene, the dragon's on the edge of the chasm. He's furious. He's rolling around on the floor. Verse 17 tells us, and the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. The woman's children are you guys. We are the woman's children if we follow Jesus. Christians are the women's, woman's children. And at this point, we are all brought into the story, or at least we can be if we choose to follow Jesus with our lives. And for those of us who are counted among the woman's children, you know what? I'm sure that you would recognize the activity of this dragon in your life. I want to just think, have I ever come across this dragon before? Probably not literally while walking through a field one day. I am imagining that hasn't happened. But I think you probably would recognize his tactics, his attempts to intimidate us, to derail each of us in our faith, to try to discredit and attack God's church. Right now, you know what? You might be scared. You might be terrified. Like, what's going to happen? There's too much against me here. What's, I can't look ahead into the future without just being afraid because it looks like the odds are totally against us as Christians, against our church, against me holding on to my faith. And it's like you see the dragon's jaws open in front of you. And it's like your eyes are closed and you're, you're waiting for the inevitable to be completely consumed by despair, by fear, by hopelessness, by shame, by unbelief, by personal weakness. Might not be today, might not be tomorrow. You think, there's no way I can get to the end of this. It's too much for me. You close your eyes and you wait for the jaws to close. But you know, you know how this plays out, don't you? In the face of fear, this story must get into the deepest part of our being. So that when fear comes, no, I remember how this works. I know what happens when the dragon's mouth's open because I know the dragon. It's the dragon who fails and who will always fail. He can come near us. He can strut. He can intimidate. He can throw as many stars out of the sky or toys out of his pram as he wants to. But his accusations against us are silenced in heaven. He's opposed by all the forces up there and mysteriously all the forces down here too. And nothing can separate us now from the love and the favor of God. I want to urge you, let God's victory and our enemy's failure soak deep into your imaginations and reason. Don't just think about it. Don't just have it as like a thing, a, a, a kind of bullet point. Have it in your heart. Have it in your soul. Have it in your feelings. That's what stories like this do for us. Let's make a decision today not to give in to fear, but instead live confident lives of faith and hope for the glory of our wonderful King. That's the call to us today. And I want to give us the chance as we finish to do just that. And in a minute, we're going to celebrate uh, God's victory together, if you would like to, in one last song. 
But first, I just want to do a quick check. I want to just see for each of us to do this ourselves. Where were we at with this story? Where were we in this, in this story? In, in verse 17, it describes the woman's children in a really interesting way. It describes Christians as all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. You might find this strange coming to Revelation, but Revelation it describes Christians in this way all the time. It doesn't describe Christians as those who believe in Jesus in this abstract kind of fingers crossed insurance policy way. It doesn't do that. No, it says Christians are those who trust in Jesus in such a way that it means it's shown through obedience in their lives and people who are prepared to be counted publicly as his. Yeah, I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. People who are willing to do that. I think the minute I say that for some of you, the accuser will immediately come to you and he'll immediately chirp in your ear and say, aha, you knew it. You're not in this gang, are you? Because you don't always obey God's commands. And you're sometimes a bit of a coward and you just back away and you don't say the right thing. If anyone's clocking that right now, look, this is the deal. Remember, that accuser, that voice has been silenced in heaven and we can silence him in our lives in the same way, by the blood of the Lamb, by recognizing Jesus' forgiveness. 